Hello, everyone, and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Anthony Garib to recap USC's big win over Colorado and a couple other big losses around the Pac-12 that put USC in control of their own destiny throughout the rest of the season. But guys, happy to be in the studio with you uh, to talk USC versus Colorado. Fans in the chat, make sure to leave your comments so that we can put them on the screen, whether that's on Twitter or YouTube. And then also, you can call in and we'll talk to you your live calls, 512. Two four tunnel guys USC big win over Colorado. How was the rest of your weekend? How's it going? Yeah, fifty five seventeen, not bad. After a three to two first quarter, you know you score safety for two nothing or whatever. Like that's kind of weird. And uh, USC with eight yards, which was your favorite yard of USC's in that first quarter. And then goes on, you know, twenty four nothing in the second quarter and goes on. But I just want to welcome in Anthony, who's here. He's been once right. before. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Yep. We got, I got two USC students in the house with me. So, you know, when I was in school, I was just kind of messing around, trying to drink some beer, do my homework. These guys are doing like shows and stuff. So it's, pretty it's cool. It's not like we don't do the same though. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's nice, but thanks for coming yeah, out and everything. And, and everyone, make sure if you're in the chat uh, on YouTube, thanks for watching live on YouTube or if you're watching on Twitter, but in the chat on YouTube, you can put any questions in there. Put capital question first and then Jack can kind of star it and get back to it later. And of course, you can call 5124-TUNNEL. To get in there, we'd love to hear your uh, phone calls, what you have to say. Try to keep them brief. We don't want to have like three or four minute phone calls because we've got a lot of people that want to call in and everything. But it should be a lot of fun. And, and Jack mentioned the absolute chaos. So many people ask those questions like, well, what if USC beats UCLA? And then this happens, this happens. Like, now you don't have to worry about it because of all the chaos that happened last night. You know, it's cool. I did a show with Harvey Hyde this morning. And he's like, if he's a former coach. If you win on a Friday night, it's a really good feeling. You can just watch, sit on your couch and watch everybody. If you lose, it's sort of like when USC lost the Utah game. You had a whole bye week to sort of stew over it. Uh, you get to watch. And, man, did you get to watch some crazy stuff. Like the people that were getting on USC for keeping it close with Arizona. Well, UCLA goes out and loses to Arizona. Oregon goes out and loses to Washington. And I talked to these guys before we did the show. I just retweeted this out. But how crazy is the Pac-12 right now? I'm going to read you this little thing. I don't know why I'm going so long on this one. but So last night we saw Arizona beat UCLA. Well, Arizona's beat UCLA. UCLA beat Utah. Utah beat USC. USC beat Oregon State. Oregon State beat Washington State. Washington State beat Stanford. Stanford inexplicably beat Arizona State. Arizona State somehow beat Washington. Washington beat Oregon. Oregon beat Colorado because, of course, you beat Colorado. But Colorado beat Cal. And then Cal beat Arizona. It's a full circle of Pac-12 ineptness going around. So craziness. It doesn't add up. But much of what goes on in the Pac-12 doesn't really add up. Yeah, so, I mean, but if you're USC, you're sitting there, you win on Friday, and you're watching on Saturday, and they love to see it. I mean, of course, I think 
you, once Oregon lost, you were kind of fine with it. Maybe you didn't want UCLA to lose if you're USC. You want a, a bigger matchup for next week. You want the players to be you know on their toes for a one-loss versus one-loss matchup uh, in the Rose Bowl, which would have been an awesome top-10 battle. But then UCLA goes down, and it's just there's chaos all around the Pac-12. Uh, Ryan, you want to break down exactly what that means, though, for SC? Yeah, and then no, we uh, Jack just mentioned this before we went on air. No game day. College game day could have came to a 9-1 Rose Bowl, 9-1 USC, 9-1 UCLA. They're going to Montana, Montana State, Montana State instead. And that's something that, you know, Jack mentioned, like Kirk Herbstreit had mentioned too. But I think if you had like two top 10 teams, 9-1, 9-1, coming to LA, the Rose Bowl, they probably would have done it. UCLA losing, my guess is, and I, I'll, I'll ask some sources and see, but my guess is that USC and UCLA would have had uh, game day there. But, you know, USC controls its own destiny now. If they win, if they beat UCLA, there's only one conference game left. Uh, the other, you know, other schools have two. Other, you know, other programs have two conference games. Uh, like UCLA plays USC and then Cal. But USC is pretty simple. You beat UCLA, you are getting an invite to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game, which I love. I covered it last year when it was Oregon and uh, Utah. A lot of fun. It'd really be cool to be able to cover USC in there. So control your own destiny. Can USC still make it if they lose? Probably, yeah. There's like some weird scenario, but I don't. You want to count on like Colorado beating Utah? Probably stuff like that's going to have to happen. So I wouldn't. It's basically just win and you're in, and it's it's that simple for USC. Yeah, I think they're in a perfect position. I think if this is the place you want to be, because you kind of like you said, you control your destiny. You just got to win out, and I think that's something that obviously I think the coaching staff is in a better position because you don't have to rely on. Like a Colorado beating Utah, you just gotta focus <laughs> on your game. That one and zero mentality that everyone always talks about—that is true in this statement or in this position. You just gotta win this week, and then you could figure it out once Notre Dame comes around, and then obviously the the Pac-12 championship game if they win. I think it's the perfect situation for them. And yesterday, big day for USC. I mean, how happy was Lincoln Riley and that staff just sitting back after your win, watching Oregon lose, watching UCLA lose? Perfect situation for them. Yeah, and I think it's funny. You're Lincoln Riley, USC. And, and a lot of, Anthony, you've seen this, Jack, you've seen this on Twitter. A lot of the USC fans were out there were like, well, what happens when it was always like the boogeyman, like UCLA was the boogeyman coming down, yeah. you know, just like they're going to be there. And, well, they just lost a team that you beat. You know, I mean, it's one of those things, like they lost at home. USC beat that team on the road. Um, it's one of those things where, yes, is USC a perfect team? No. Are they flawed? Sure. But they're, you know, when you saw Cal going up and down the field on the defense, it's like, you can only score once per possession. You know, maybe you get an awesome kick and you get an extra yeah. possession in there. But USC can score, you know, and can they force a turnover? Can they get a sack on DTR? We saw a couple of those uh, last night. Maybe force some field goals instead of touchdowns. Like, anything like that are considered sort of like, those are stops, you know. And you just need a few of those, and USC can score enough points to win. So, it's it's... You know, in a in a vacuum, you're like, oh, if you're giving up this many yards to this team, like you is not going to double it. You know, like they're going to do well, but you're not they're not going to like double it. It's just one of those things there. USC can go in there and go toe to toe with UCLA for sure. There might be some weird plays, and it could go either way. But it, there's not like this doom and gloom thing where like oh, there's no way they're going to ever stop stop Zach Charbonnet. He might run for 200 yards, and you could still win the game. You know, I mean that's that's the kind of stuff that can happen. Yeah, you mentioned. I mean, USC's had clunkers this year. We come on and we talk it's like, "Yeah, this win didn't feel great," but at the same time, like that's a win. You you mentioned the Pac-12 circle of suck, which I think is what it was called. <laughs> it's like every team's had its clunkers, and the difference is USC has won. Their only loss, as we mentioned all the time, is a, a one point loss on the road to a, a top ten team in Utah right now. 
But, you know, UCLA has a clunker against Arizona. So did USC, but the difference is, you know, USC was able to win those games. Yeah. They're, they're not like an Oregon losing at home to Washington or UCLA losing at home to Arizona. There's a difference between those, and I think that's what USC fans should be appreciative of. And through the first quarter against Colorado, which is what we're here to talk about, it really looked like it might be one of those clunker games in a week that <laughs> no one was expecting <laughs> it with USC having disappointing games two weeks in a row. Everyone thought Colorado bounced back game, and you look up at the end of the first quarter, and it's like, was this the game that we got tickets for? This is the game we signed up for. USC was losing three to two. They only had eight yards. Uh, what did you guys think about the way that the team responded and played for the rest of the game after that? Just really weird first quarter with the drone delay and everything that I think we can kind of write off. It was just weird. It was a Friday night. It just felt weird. Like you get in the press box, like yeah. I know you were there, and just sort of like okay, like it wasn't going to be a big crowd. It was chilly. The you know the you start off and like oh Jordan Addison even like Mario Williams warming up and then not playing. You're like oh yeah, that's kind of weird. And they throw a little two yard pass to Jordan Addison to start the game. You never really see him much for the rest of it. They're like they, you know Caleb Williams misses next like three passes. They punt right away. You're like USC punting like right away against this team. Like come on, this can't be real. And then they're like oh let's stop everything. There's a drone, unauthorized drone. You're like what? And like yeah, I, I didn't. See, I don't know if, if you guys yeah. saw it. But. Yeah, there's this little red light above the peristyle, and I think that was Colorado's attempt at trying to foil Lincoln Riley and whatever his offensive plan yeah. was. Like hey, we hey. you don't get to play offense. We're gonna fly a drone above the stadium. That was funny. Yeah. So it just it just the vibes were just weird. You know, it was just like a weird sort of thing. And then. You know, you whatever you shake it off. You kind of you wake up from your. It's like you were taking a nap or something. I th I think I tweeted like, you know, I've I play sports and like sometimes if I've had too many adult beverages the night before, yeah. you wake up hungover. And like, I kind of play like this, you yeah. know. And it eventually like wears off. And so I'm not saying the team was hungover, but it just they kind of looked like that and they sort of wore off. And then it was fine. I think their drive chart after that was like touchdown, 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 field goal. They had one, you know, they had a ten play drive that they didn't uh, score on. It was like a. They went for it on fourth down, didn't get it, and then touch it on, touch it on, touch it. I mean, they just blew them away after that, which you kind of expect. But, yeah, it was just a weird start, you know? Yeah. I mean, I looked at it as that first quarter, if you had a bingo card with all the things that could just be weird, someone warming up, not playing, the drone, the Friday night game. <laughs> I think USC had three and outs the first two. It's like, what's going on? And yeah. I saw a tweet that someone had said that you know, a baseball game is broke out at the Coliseum <laughs> with a 3-2 score. But it really what I saw was I think they just kind of turned on the switch yeah. and realized, hey, you know, we've got a game to play. Because um, it was just completely different. I think they scored about 24 points in unanswered points in like eight minutes. I think minutes. the second quarter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so they, I think they kind of turned that switch on um, because that first quarter was very bizarre. It was just a type of game where we'd even asked Lincoln Riley throughout the week if maybe are they kind of looking past Colorado with the two bigger games coming up, uh, UCLA and Notre Dame. He said he didn't think so. Um, I think that there was obviously some part of that. You know, when you're going into that game, you think, all right, it's Friday night, playing Colorado. It won't be as uh, as difficult of a matchup when you have those two games coming up. But I think they really turned it on after that first quarter. And it was really just smooth sailing the rest of that. Yeah. I mean, we saw Miller Moss uh, for the most of basically the entire fourth quarter. Yeah, that was nice. We, you needed that. You needed, yeah. like, the backups to play. It had been a while, you know. Exactly, yeah. We saw some Darwin Barlow. I forgot Darwin Barlow was on the team, what he, what he looked like running the ball. So Violence when he runs yeah, the yeah. ball. Yeah, love it. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, obviously, that first quarter was just trying to block it out of your memory, really, because <laughs> I, I really don't know what happened in that, in that quarter. And the fact that there was the safety and – what was it? It was intentional grounding in, in, the, the, end in the end zone. Yeah, I, I forgot that rule even existed. <laughs> and then for them to bounce back that uh, that way, I think was was good because you don't want them to. You know, when you start off slow, 
it, usually teams might just falter like hey what's going on like what are we doing some frustration might build up but they responded really well you know they just got back to their work and got back to business and just executed the game plan and that's really all you can ask for when you start off slow like that and it was funny the first td drive was like i mean that was as clunky as it gets right there was it was like a third and 19 like deep in your own territory find uh kyle ford picks up 20 something yards or whatever first yeah. down then they face a third 23 on the same drive You're like what and of course who are you gonna throw it to uh, throw it to Kyle Ford again that seems to be good then like on a first then they're like in the uh close to the red zone and you get a offensive pass interference and now it's first and 25 I don't remember what the second down was but you were facing like third and 19 third and 23 and a first and 25 on the same drive and you score a touchdown like I don't it probably doesn't happen that often when you're something like that. So it just sort of it showed like USC was still trying to figure things. Like you can do this, but like they were screwing up along the way, yeah. and still you're able to. And no, you know, Colorado is very, very bad. Like we said this about Cal. Cal was very bad on offense. They just fired their offensive coordinator, who had like bad game, bad game, bad good game for USC and the bad bad. That's fine, whatever. Uh, but you know, Musgrave is out at Cal, but Colorado is bad. They're better than what they were, you know, after they fired Carl Durrell and Mike Sanford, I think has fired the, the team up. Um, you know, I, I talked to some of the insiders at, at Colorado and they, it's, it's definitely changed the attitude. Their defense has changed. And, um, but you know, it's just, they, they don't have enough. There's just not enough there. You know, Fontenot had a night, he runs for over hundred yards. That was cool, but they just weren't going to have the horses to hang with USC. So don't be like, Oh, USC's defense is amazing or anything, but you needed something like that. You needed Tule to go off and Two and a half sacks. He's leading the nation in sacks again. Caleb Bullock to get another interception. You know, sack force fumble. That kind of stuff. You just want to get that going so you feel sort of good about yourself. Uh, it's like you're playing golf and it's like, you know, you you par. If you're really good, get a birdie or something on an easy hole. You don't feel like, well, it's an easy hole. You're like, I still did well. And maybe the, well, you know, the number one handicap's coming up next. And hopefully I can hit a drive in the fairway and, and do well, you know, and uh, scratch, you know, scratch out a different, decent score. So I think the USC defense needed this. Um, and the offense just sort of like, you know, got off the run, whatever they had, they, they got rid of that and then they started smooth sailing. But even that first touchdown drive yeah. wasn't, wasn't smooth sailing. But the good thing is they got it out of the way, a game like this, a poor start. And I think I agree with you. I think a lot of sports is kind of like a mental thing. You want to kind of give yourself confidence, even though they're playing against a, a worse opponent, just to kind of have that confidence, like, Hey, this is what we can do. And having Tui get more involved. We also saw Corey Foreman get a tackle for loss that Alex Grinch talked about. And he said, it was good to see him kind of move the needle. So yeah. just getting that confidence up going into the final couple of weeks of the season is very important, especially it's kind of like beating up on your younger brother before you got a big game. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of like that, just to kind of remind yourself who you are, you know, and I think that was kind of what was going on in this game. See, I, Anthony likes the analogy. I was like going to say, I, I, think, I, exactly. think he's built, I think he's built for tunnel vision, but you got to make it a food analogy to really uh, impress uh, Ryan. I like all <laughs> analogies. I just like food ones just kind of like stick, but uh, yeah, it's fine. I think for, for SC, it was a combination of, you, even though Lincoln Riley said they weren't going to do it, you kind of do look past Colorado a little bit. You hear all the noise. You know they fired their coach already. I think it was a combination in the first quarter, looking past Colorado a little bit. And then also, we I think we failed to mention so far, they were, they were on a short week playing uh, late on Saturday night and then having to play again on Friday, which at least now this week, if they come out a little slow after one less day, maybe they come out a little bit better against UCLA with now another 
another day in UCLA coming off of a loss. But I think from that second quarter on, it was about the game we expected. And while USC was able to win big, I think something we have to note, it didn't come without a cost. Travis Dye, the, the running back that has really propelled the Trojans and helped build the culture that Lincoln Riley is trying to establish at USC, most likely out for the season, according to Lincoln Riley. After one of the, the, the weirder injuries I've seen, kind of didn't seem at the time that it was really a bad one and then he stays down for a really long time and every player comes out to wish him well as he's taken off the field just a brutal injury for sc i think us three being media members talking to travis die just about once every week he's such a genuine guy a great football player fifth year senior transfer from oregon he's done so much for usc in, in the short time he's been here i think it's painful for teammates and just everyone around college football to see him go down for sure, and I certainly mean no. I mean, this is something we could have started off with. Obviously, talking about Travis died. No disrespect. I mean, everyone I think in this room and everyone we've interacted with uh, just love the guy. Total respect for him. It's just one of those things where it's so bad you just don't even want to like acknowledge it. You know, I've talked about it on other shows, and you have to. Obviously, it's big news, and uh, it's really devastating to see to to have the whole team come out and huddle around him when he was on uh, the cart, and you know, Caleb Williams talk about. What he said to him, they're saying that he loves him. And I think the first three or four questions at the press conference after the game were all about Travis Dye, Lincoln Riley, being emotional when he was talking about him. I mean, it's just, he's one of those guys where it's hard to believe when USC put this team together and you're like, oh, it's a bunch of mercenaries. You go get the best running back from Oregon, bring them down to USC and go get, you know, Colorado's, you know, best receiver, like all this stuff. And you're like, but these guys have gelled and they've become a team. And he's become a leader on this team. He's someone that has all the respect and admiration from uh, his teammates and the coaches. Lincoln Riley made a joke about him marrying over his head, you know, uh, which, I mean, that, it, that's a great sign to see that that you can put these people together that from all different walks of life, different parts of the country, different teams, and somehow they've come together and took a 4-8 and eight team, built the chemistry up, and they're 9-1 and one now, and they're, you know, vying for a chance to, to win the Pac-12. And Travis Dye was a big part of it. Uh, Lincoln Riley said they wouldn't be where they were, were you know, 9-1 and one without him, and I would uh, definitely agree with that. I think it's a good sign that you saw all the running backs really play well after that. And I think, you know, Riley talked about he can make contributions to this team, just it's not going to be on the field. And I think he will. I think his leadership and all that, he comes back out in the second half. But really tough, uh, you know, it, it's part of the game. And it's it's football. We cover this kind of stuff all the time. But just hard, uh, you know, to, to cover someone like that, you know, is just like a great guy. And you, you know, you want to root for him wherever he does. So we wish him a speedy recovery. But yeah, that, that was a tough one, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. You said it best. I mean, I kind of, I spent the last month really talking to people around Travis Dye, reporting on his story. And every person that I talk to, they really point out just how much of a leader he is and just his competitiveness. But also, he's just a, just somebody you love to be around. Um, and that's, I think, something that stands out just from being able to interview him and cover him. He's just a really good, genuine guy. And I think Lincoln Riley said it best. It just sucks, a situation like that. And obviously it happens in football, but just his importance to the culture. I don't think USC would be where they're at right now with him or without Travis Dye. Shane Lee talked about how he's just a player. Whenever he talks, everybody listens. He just has some this energy about him where everyone really just vies and just goes past, goes with him. You know, they, they, they love to just hear him talk. And I remember I, I had interviewed someone uh, who was the running backs coach at Oregon. And they said, whenever there was a big game, we needed someone to, to give a speech. We, we brought Travis Dye because he always knew what to say. He understood how to get the message across. And he knew that the people would, the players would listen to him. And he would not only capture the attention of the players, but of the coaching staff. And I think we've seen that impact on USC. And 
I'm sure we'll talk about it now, but just how that running back room will will work now without die is, is is important. But just can't be you know overstated just the impact that that Travis Dye had on this team and and how much it'll be a miss just not having him on the field. But obviously he'll still be on the sidelines and he'll still be a big leader for this team. Yeah, for reference, despite having a potentially season-ending injury, which we haven't gotten, I don't think, official news yet on that from Lincoln Riley, he still gave a speech at halftime, despite being in what I would believe to be so much pain. He gave a speech at halftime. He was on the sidelines uh, for the rest of the game. We got a great picture of that. It just shows you the kind of leader that Travis Dye is, and I don't think any of us would have been surprised to be in that locker room, hear him get up and give a speech uh, when he was injured, because that's just the, he's exuded that since getting to SC, and every week that we get to talk to him, not only is he a quote machine, uh, but he's just he's truly the, I think the epitome of what this culture is meant to be. Yeah, no blocky, no rocky. You know, you love the stuff that, that he would say, and he's awesome to you know. For us, we're in, you know, if you're interviewing someone that's a great player that doesn't really say much. It doesn't help us do our job, but you have to figure out other ways. He's someone that makes your job easier just because he says yeah. some really cool stuff. He can call out teammates and, you know, during win, you know, even, you know, a lot of times you want to learn from wins, you know, those clunkers that Jack was talking about. You got to learn from like a loss to Utah, but it's, if you can learn from like a close win over Cal or a close win over Arizona, that's better because you still get the win and then you kind of like take lessons from it. And I think we've seen Travis die, like mention things like that and talk about effort from teammates and things. So he's definitely earned everyone's respect in that locker room. And I think him just being around is going to help. Uh, I'm curious to see what these running backs look like. And if the rotation is just going to be, uh, you know, Austin Jones, and then, you know, do you bring Rayleigh Brown in and, uh, and Darwin Barlow, I, you know, wh- how you're going to do all that stuff. But I, to me, they all look like they sort of like there was a fire on there. And I'm like, we're going to play for Travis, you know, and that you might see that. And you might see these guys just ball out the last few games of the season because their, their comrade, their, their leader had fall, you know, has fallen. And, yeah. and the biggest thing that kept Travis Dye on the field so much more than these other running backs, which he really earned, I think the, not only the starting role, but the bell cow workhorse role in the Lincoln Rally offense was his ability to pass protect. That's something we have yet to see from Austin Jones and Raleigh Brown, the level of pass protection that Travis Dye brought to the table. So if there's one aspect that I think Trojan fans should be a little bit more worried about than others, it's it's can Caleb Williams be protected when Austin Jones has to pick up a blitz pickup because we know just how reliable Travis Dye was doing that. And then also his streak of conversions on third down or fourth down and one. He was he only yeah. missed one all year, and that's when USC ran the three exact same plays to end the game last weekend. And so Travis Dye has been so reliable for USC. I, I don't think that, that Trojan fans should be super worried about the talent in the running back room. You still had Austin Jones, who has shown flashes this season. Relique Brown's a crazy talent. But Travis Dye, I think the consistency, the reliability is what USC is really going to miss in an offense where, you know, they don't ask a ton from the running back position. And so if you have a consistent guy there, it, it really means a lot to Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, and company. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a key distinction. I think with Austin Jones, he started off the season strong. He had that big game against Fresno State. that We didn't really see much of him after that. I think the pass protection was really the key thing there that kind of kept him out of the rotation. But he played really well against Colorado. I mean, granted, Colorado is not you know that great of a defense, but it's just great, like we talked about earlier, getting you know confident, getting back in that play. And I want to know how was you know will Darwin Barlow play a role in any of this? I know we we really rarely saw uh, Leakett Riley go deep into that running back room. He was almost always just Travis Dye, Relique Brown, some sprinkle of Austin Jones. Will that stay the same? Will we see more of a mix? Who will he lean to? Those are really the main questions. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think either of those players, I think Austin Jones obviously is the more of the 
established running back, more of a veteran. He has that Pac-12 experience. Uh, Relic Brown, obviously, the talent level is off the charts, and what he can do if he gets going in the offense is important. Um, but really, the pass protection, like you talked about, Jack, that's kind of the main thing that they're going to miss uh, without Travis. But you know, you, you, you got to have to see, you know, with who, how will they just mix it up with the running backs now? Yeah, I'm probably going to see Austin Jones sort of take Travis Dye's role and then mix in Darwin Barlow, maybe a little more than they were doing. Yeah. Jones the last several weeks uh, you know we'll see we got we saw a little bit more of Jones I mean they had, you know and I guess the last week or two um, and then you know Brown's just going to be put in there in different spots uh, it's funny like to see I think you know Jones is a good pass catcher too and we might see a little bit more of that I mean it looked the the screen passes that Miller Moss was throwing to those guys looked really good yeah. at the end and it, it, to USC fans are like why can't they do more of that like it was like yeah those, those were really pretty you know and it's like that when you're when the running back is coming out of the backfield and catching it in stride, it just looks good, you know. So maybe they'll do a little bit more of that too. So we'll we'll see. But I, I think they're going to rally around, uh, you know, die, and uh, you know we'll see. They're gonna they're gonna need a good run game to beat UCLA and and beat uh, Notre Dame. And you, you saw Washington control the clock against Oregon, you know, and uh, early in the in that game, it was a really low scoring game in the first half, and. They were able to kind of move the chains and not necessarily been USC's game, but maybe you do that a little bit. Like if DTR is starting to go off, you know, you take him off the field. He's, he's got frustrated when like Oregon stole that possession, when they got the, uh, uh, the onside kick, you know, and, and when Arizona was kind of scoring at will and, and was up, you know, 14, nothing on UCLA. Like that's a way to take like a really good offense out of their rhythm. And uh, UCLA, I think they're eight. zero when they've run the ball more than they've thrown it. And they're zero and they're zero and two when they've thrown the ball more than they've run it. So it's so one of those situations where, like what USC did early on, you get a lead early, um, to try to control the tempo a little bit. And I think you can do that, you know, with these if these running backs have a, a good game. Yeah, we've seen. Uh, there's been a lot of questions in the chat that I was just kind of letting pass by because we're going to talk about them on Thursday when we do the UCLA preview show of just like how can USC beat UCLA? What did you learn seeing UCLA lose to Arizona? And I think it's that UCLA is not quite as good when they're playing from behind. And, you know, they haven't had to do that a whole ton this season. But when they have, outside of that Washington game where that, that kind of was back and forth and both teams were throwing the ball like crazy, I just don't think that UCLA is built – to win from behind and, and win when they're exclusively passing the ball. Because what makes their offense so good is that they have DTR who can throw and run, and they've got Zach Charbonnet who can really just you know, pound you to a pulp. And he's been so good, and Chip Kelly's play calling has been so good when they're able to do both at an effective level. But if Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, they can get up big on UCLA, a couple scores, and you're making UCLA, like, are, are we really going to run the ball down 14 with you know 15 minutes to go? It's like, make them make those decisions, and I think that's when you kind of have UCLA in the corner uh, so that's something that I think we learned. And uh, regarding the running back room, one thing I thought throughout the entire season is, Link is Lincoln Riley has not wanted Caleb Williams to run quite as much as he did uh, last year at Oklahoma to save himself from injury and, of course, get him ready for some of these bigger games at the end of the year. Now with Travis Dye out, I definitely would not be surprised if Lincoln relies on Caleb's legs a little bit more. Every time that we see Caleb pull the ball and run, it's, he's just so electric. And it's so clear that like that is another layer to the offense that Lincoln Riley isn't using yet but definitely could you saw him clinch two games in a row by pulling the read option and getting downhill incredibly quickly I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they start to use Caleb's legs more in these last couple games especially these big ones where you're going to be playing maybe three ranked opponents in a row yeah yeah I think in terms of UCLA just really quick the Caleb aspect of it I think is going to be important because they really struggled 
with UCLA. He struggled with Jaden Delora and just his, his ability to escape from pressure. And Caleb's ability to escape from pressure, we've obviously seen probably the best in the conference, one of the best in the country. Yeah. So that will pose a huge threat just to UCLA, his ability to, to scramble, to escape, because that's really what hurt UCLA. They couldn't break down Jane Delora. No, yeah. And I think that's going to be a, a big thing. And, and yeah, starting off strong. I know we, my, you guys will talk about it on Thursday, but you got to start off strong against UCLA because they just want to pound the ball. They ran for, what, 400 yards? Yeah. Against Arizona State. So if you let them get comfortable in that offense, it's very difficult to defend them. I think you want to get a start like you did at Utah. And if you're if you're a USC fan and you're kind of like, well, they looked a little weird against these kind of overmatched teams. And they didn't look good when they went on the road early for Oregon State. This is not like a road game. It's it's the Rose Bowl, right? But like but I think they figured some things out, and when they went on the road at Salt Lake City, uh, they looked like a real team. I mean, that was like they were clicking. They get an early lead. I mean, they were basically winning the whole game, and then they lost. You know, they they weren't they weren't behind until forty something seconds left in the game, or whatever it was. I think if you can do that, you can sort of take um, you know try to take UCLA out of like what they would really like to do. I think for Utah, they still were able to throw. The, obviously, they had a lot of success throwing the ball at the tight end. Um, but you can, like Jack said, you can kind of take away a few of those options. When you're, you know, we've seen Stanford teams do this over the years where you're just like, they get up 10, 14 points and they'll grind out these drives and they don't care if they take five minutes off the clock and then punt and pin you deep. Like they just sort of, you're playing their game. And I think you can get a lead on a team that likes to run more than they pass. You can, you know, you can control the tempo a little bit, but I'm kind of optimistic is how this team's going to come out and look like, I don't think you're going to, I think you're going to see them look like they did against Utah where they come out and are like, Oh, it looks like this team is ready for this big game. It's a better opponent, but somehow they look better. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's kind of like my gut feeling. Yeah. I think the offense is bound for some explosive plays. We haven't really seen it in the last couple of weeks in terms of like, remember against Stanford when they just had that one play 75 yard or whatever touchdown to Jordan Addison. We haven't really seen that recently. Yeah. And I feel like, this is a game against UCLA where they're really prone to giving up those big plays. It's at the Rose Bowl. It's probably going to be packed. They're going to get up. For, and I think a lot of the players from last season who witnessed that game, when that, that blowout, they'll be even more excited to come out and get a win in probably their last game uh, against, against the Bruins. So I'm with you. I th I'm optimistic about the start. <laughs> I think they can come out real strong and they're due for an explosive play. If I can make a prediction, that would be my prediction. Okay, I like an, it. An right. explosive play. You can predict whatever you want. Are we talking <laughs> like 75 yards explosive play? I don't know about that, but but 50, maybe 50 plus. All right, I like it. Okay. You heard it here first. Uh, let's, before we start to get, you know, fully get into the future for USC, let's at least talk a little bit about this big 55 to 17 win. We talked a little bit about Travis Dye. Of course, the offense after that, Caleb Williams completed like 50% of his passes, but it just seemed like the Trojans were just moving the ball with ease. And there were some, some real marquee plays. You had the long Tosh Washington touchdown. You had Caleb Williams doing his best Patrick Mahomes impression with a little shovel flip to Austin Jones, who jumps over a guy. And then we got to talk about the two-point conversion fake extra point with the backflip. It just kind of seemed like USC was really pouring it on after the Travis Dye injury and the slow start. It was really easy. Of course, the stats for some of you know fans' favorite players, Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison, they're not the prettiest, but the team really moved the ball with ease. I don't think you can really overstate how easy it was for USC to move the ball on Colorado. Yeah, I think Caleb Williams started off like, you know, that first quarter, if you take him out, I think his numbers were a lot more Caleb Williams-y, I guess you could say. Um, you know, Kyle Ford, I think his three catches were all third down conversions, two of them yep. being like 19 and 23 yards, which is crazy. Uh, we didn't, you know, Mike, 
Michael Jackson, what, he had three touchdowns or whatever last week and uh, didn't really do much in this game. It's just one of those things where you just, you know, tight ends really weren't doing a whole lot, but we got to see, you know, the running backs all score, uh, you know, after Travis Dye went out, all those guys get in, you know, a whole quarter of, uh, of backups and Miller Moss looking good. He's It's been a while. He's been kind of chomping at the bit to get in there and, and play some, so that was nice to to see that. And then, you know, some some big defensive plays with, you know, Thule just going crazy. You, you mentioned Corey Foreman getting a sack. Thule batted a pass down, sack fumble. Um, that was that, that fumble, I think, was a big one. It sort of, like, helped turn the momentum a little bit. And then uh, another Kalen Bullock uh, interception where he's just kind of tracking the ball. And um, it's funny, I talked to Bryson Shaw afterwards, and he compared Bullock to uh, Chris Olave, who was his teammate at Ohio State. Now, wide receiver, but he's just said, like, that smoothness to him. It just... There's just something about him. He just looks at him, you know, so he's playing a safety with him, and uh, he's just capable of making those plays. So I think he's second in the conference in interceptions at uh, four. Um, I believe uh, Clark Phillips at Utah has five, unless he got another one yesterday. But, um, yeah, so pretty – I mean, over you know, after that first quarter, even the defense played well in the first quarter, but, you know, that, I think it was a good overall performance. It's just one of those things where you're just like, all right, we did what we needed to do, move on, and, and see what, if, if any of this will translate to uh, UCLA. Yeah, pretty much smooth sailing after that first quarter. One thing I, I always pay attention to, after last season when he was the Drake London show, just throw it at Drake London all the time, nine different receivers caught oh, a pass. That's good, yeah. So that's a good thing, spreading the wealth. And no one had more than three receptions. That was the highest. You talked about Kyle Ford. He led three receptions, 73 yards. He had the, the highest total. But everyone really got a share of the wealth. And I think Caleb Williams has done a really good job of that this season, really spreading it around, making sure that everyone eats. And that's a good thing to have. Like it's a, You know, because you can kind of rely on, obviously we've seen this more with Jordan out and Mario out, that, you know, they can really spread it around. And I think what I want to see is, will he do that once Jordan comes back and Mario yeah. comes back? Because it's just so easy. They're getting open. Just throw it to them, right? Yeah. So it's good. It kind of makes your offense more, uh, it's difficult to defend when you're getting more people involved. And I think... That's a good thing. And you talked about, obviously, Kalen Bullock. He now has the most interceptions in a season since Talano Ufunga a couple years ago. Nice. Yeah. Uh, which is a good a good person to get compared sure, to. Sure, right? we were watching him on yeah. uh, <laughs> Sunday Night Football right now. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's he just continues to grow and grow. Um, and he was good. Like you said, Miller Moss. I thought I was watching the Cal game last year, seeing Miller Moss on their center. Uh, flashbacks to really depressing times, I would say, right? Yeah, I mean. You still have to take a step back, and we'll get to questions and everything, and hopefully we'll have some callers and stuff. But this team was four and eight, and now you're like, what are the playoff scenarios, and what are the Pac-12 championship scenarios, yeah. and the highest ranked team in the conference, and uh, you know, one loss by one point on the road in the last second. Like, that's pretty insane compared to where you know where this team was last year. I know people like want to complain about things and don't like this, don't like that, but. I would take it in because this is just, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, oh, they had a bad first quarter against Colorado, Colorado State. Sure, that's fine. But uh, they're 9-1, and one, and uh, they were 4-8 and eight last year. <laughs> so a lot of the same guys. <laughs> they have a lot of new ones. Uh, not a lot of the same coaches. Just one is the same. But um, pretty remarkable. I think, you know, if you're, you're going to look at, like a guy like Lincoln Riley, it's hard to get coach of the year when you're like a marquee program and people expect you to do well. But the, there was a lot that went into – reshaping the roster, building the coaching staff, you know, building the culture and really keeping the chemistry. So it wasn't like they lost two or three games early on because they weren't on the same page. Like they came out playing well, which all that stuff, you have to give credit to Lincoln Riley too, because it's not, that's not easy. So he's probably not going to get like coach of the year stuff, maybe in the PAC 12. I don't know, but, bec but because people have the expectations, but the job he's done 
to take what he had and build it to what it is, especially if they go on and win the, the championship. It's pretty impressive. Well, and I don't know if you're watching Miami football or Texas A&M football or even at some point this year, Notre Dame football. Uh, there's a lot of teams around the, the the country with new coaches or a lot of big changes that have not been handling it well. Of course, Texas A&M is going to finish with a losing record. Miami's kind of just been embarrassing this year after hiring Mario, Mario Cristobal. And USC, yes, they've had some clunker games, but they're still sitting here at 9-1. and one. And Anthony, I think you brought up a good point of just how they spread the ball around to the different pass catchers. Uh, Caleb Williams was the only person with multiple touchdowns touchdowns today and USC scored a lot of touchdowns against Colorado you had four touchdowns through the air all went to a different pass catcher uh, and then Darwin Barlow added one on the ground Caleb Williams had two on the ground but this a lot of touchdowns spreading the wealth to everyone kind of seems like everyone got a shot against Colorado even Miller Moss got in the game and another game which I think we failed to mention too Caleb Williams another game with five uh, five total touchdowns he had three through the air two on the ground which means 20 across the past four games he did throw an interception which we maybe have to talk about oh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, 20 touchdowns over the last four games with five in each game is pretty crazy yeah I've I blocked that interception out of my mind that entire first quarter I just have forgotten about but yeah it was an underthrown ball on that interception uh, I was honestly surprised because he didn't look good in that first quarter a lot of things were a lot of the passes were just inaccurate um, yeah. and that interception was was alarming for about five minutes and then <laughs> they came back and they were and everything was fine yeah, Brendan Rice could have, I mean, it was underthrown, could have made a play on that ball. I think it seemed like they were trying to get him the ball yeah. early, just yeah. to, his former team, you know, if you didn't uh, realize that. It's funny, like, I thought Makai Blackman, we didn't, you know, we didn't hear his name a whole lot in that game. You know, he's a former Colorado wide receiver. But when you watched Colorado play Oregon, Christian Gonzalez, the other corner, so they had two really good corners. They both transferred out. Gonzalez, man, he had two interceptions plus a pick six against his old team. I was think, I was curious if Blackman would have had something Similar to that, but that was interesting. Uh, we have like almost 500 people watching live on YouTube, so thanks so much. Smash that like button, though. I think we like we got like 50 likes. We need some more likes on there, so please like it, share it with your friends, hit that share button, subscribe. And if you're not subscribed, do that. But we really appreciate you spending your Sunday night with us. I don't know if the games are good. Oh, it's actually a pretty good game. Uh, sometimes it's a good game. Not as many people watch your Sunday night football. But thank you for uh, for hanging with us. And uh, I got my two. My two students here. You guys want to real quick give them like tell them what you guys are doing at, at USC before we like jump into questions and stuff. Or yeah, definitely. Anthony's got seniority on me, so he can start. Oh yeah, I'll start. Uh, yeah, I was so I was sports editor of the Daily Trojan last year, uh, covering the football team, which was quite an experience, obviously. Sure. Um, so that yeah, that was what I was doing there, and then I'm a senior now. And then do I want do I share everything or just yeah, whatever you want? Yeah, yeah. It's like you're an intern with uh, yeah favorite dining hall. Ever. You got to share every p little piece of information. <laughs> That's too deep. Uh, no, yeah. I, I was sports editor last year at Daily Trojan, uh, and then I was I still do like some work with them, uh, just a staff writer with them, and also was contributing with you guys. Um, and then now I'm an intern at ABC Seven in, in LA, uh, the station there, sports intern, uh, which has been which has been great. Uh, and then I just contribute wherever I can. I also do some. I'm a big Laker fan. I write a, I do, I write for Lakers Nation. Uh, whoever whoever likes the Lakers, I know they're probably losing right now. I haven't looked at, I looked at the score, <laughs> but it's safe to assume that they're losing. Um, but yeah, just happy to be here. I'll pass yeah. it on to Jack. Yeah, I'm seeing someone saying EVK in the uh, in the. Oh, in the EVK. dining hall chat. I think I'd have to agree. That's probably the yeah. best dining hall. I used uh, to go to that. That's how long it's been around. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm Jack. I'm a sophomore at SC, so I've been doing this uh, since I've got here this August. This is my second semester since I was a spring admit last year, and I'm also uh, doing different broadcasting stuff for the student radio station KXSC. So uh, every other game, switching off with another sophomore, doing pregame, halftime, and postgame shows. I also run my own baseball podcast. I just love to talk sports and. Excited to come out here every Thursday and Sunday to talk USC football. 
a lot of people that are saying a bunch of different uh, places at SC where yeah. they've lived and stuff oh. like that. Ryan, someone says they need your your uh, your favorite pregame meal and they need an autograph at the Notre Dame game. Oh, oh. yeah, there was. A, I was supposed to give an autograph. I don't do a lot of autographs, like a lot of pictures. It's funny, like you know things like that. People want to, but sometimes someone wants an autograph. Yeah, just you know, hit me up. Hit me up on Twitter. I'll uh, I'll do my best. Pregame meal, I don't know. Like, I like going. Um, I mean, if I have a friend that's having a tailgate, like getting some like a re sort of, like a real meal at, outside the stadium and then go in. Problem is, you have to go in early. Like, we're there, you know, two three hours early. So people are like, "Oh, I'll meet you at the tailgate like fifteen minutes before the kickoff." Like, no, <laughs> dude, I can't do that. Sorry. Um, but if you're there, like you know, like Roy, like uh, USC Psycho, they're like three hours early. Vic does like amazing work on the grill, so stuff like that, like a big steak or something that's nice. Uh, I love sweets though. Like I want to have like a good cookie selection of brownies and stuff. So all all that's part of my pregame. I'm with you on the sweets. The, the <laughs> yeah, the cookies have to be good. Yeah, it, it, brownies. All like yeah, the sweets are. It's really bad because you know every time I go to a press box, that's the number one indicator if it's a good press box or not. If they have good good cookies, and for the most part, the Coliseum. It's been pretty good. Yeah. They're they, they come out in little spurts. We don't know, yeah. you see them all the time. But like, there's places like Stanford usually has a great spread. There'll be like homemade cookies sitting out. Oh, and stuff. No way. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Wow. They're compensating for the level of football being played it's out there, pretty... and then the lack of a mascot, I guess, for the rest of the season. I don't know if you guys talked about that on the Pac-12 show, but the yeah, stuff that the... happened with the the Stanford, Stanford mascot. Stanford hates fun. They banned the tree. Uh, like, wait, really? A, oh yeah, that's just. Wow. It's just Stanford stuff. It's pretty funny. Uh, let's yeah. talk about Tui Tui Pelotu because I don't think even. Even we aren't talking about him enough. And someone asked in the chat, are you surprised with this production? And I wanted to say no. Like, you know, we've known Tui Tui Plotu is probably the best USC defensive player coming into the year. But he's been one of the best, if not the best, defensive player in college football this season. Still leads the nation in sacks. He's wrecking havoc, especially at the Coliseum, where it seems like he's very comfortable. Added another two and a half sacks. He had that forced fumble. He was influence, or a big influence on the safety earlier in the game. I mean, Tui Tui Plotu keeps getting better. I just think it's crazy. He's a beast. And, uh, you know, I talked to Harvey Hyde this morning. He's like, he's the best player on the team. And, like, I mean, you know, it's, you could argue a lot of different guys, I think, or maybe not that many, but he's one you would argue. And uh, you need that. Like, when it, this is a defense that's predicated on making big plays, and he's someone that can make big plays. It, did he have like 10 tackles in this game? No. But, you know, every time he made a play, it was impactful. If it's the sack fumble or, you know, any kind of tackles for loss. That's what this USC defense needs. They need to like kind of throw a you know an offense off balance. You know, if you if you're getting second and twos all the time, that's gonna be really hard to do. But yeah, if it's second and thirteen, sure you can give things up. But it's a it changes the landscape of things. I think that's how this defense is successful. And you need a guy like Thule, uh to do that. I think he's your defensive MVP. You could argue like an Eric Gentry or something. You know, when he was around, like how important he was. But a guy like Thule has just been absolutely. Yeah, you know, he's just monster out there. Yeah, he just you know he's a player that just wrecks havoc and that creates chaos. I think that's the type of player you want on that defensive line, which yeah. was a, really a position that a group that we were kind of worried about. How would they show up? We knew obviously Tuli was going to show up, but I think just his presence kind of opens it up for everyone else. And I think look, he's had eleven and a half sacks. Ten and a half have come with the Coliseum, which is pretty <laughs> pretty bonkers. Like yeah. especially the he had that three sack game against. Uh, Washington State where it just seemed like he was just dominating yeah so I think uh, in a way it's a little it is surprising because of the point like the total of sacks that he's had but also just because the way that everyone was talking about him throughout fall camp even spring camp it might have been Sean Nua who was saying 
just praising Thule, it kind of makes sense that he's had this total. And I think against uh, UCLA, whose offensive line really struggled uh, last night, he's just going to go crazy. And I think he's going to be more motivated because of last year. And I think also it might be his, what did Drake Jackson call his third year, the money year? Yeah, yeah. It might be his money year. So he might want to go out with the bang against UCLA. But, yeah, he's just been – I think he's probably the, the best player on the team. I know we've uh, we've asked Lincoln Riley about Caleb and, and his Heisman talk. I'm not saying Thule should be the Heisman winner, but he's been the best player on the team, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to have a problem. They're going to have some trouble picking the USC MVP at that banquet they do at the end of the year because there's been tons of different candidates. You would even assume Travis Dye might be in that conversation if he was able to play out the whole year. I saw a tweet today from the PFF college account uh, talking about Thule with like a 94 overall grade. He only rushed the passer on 15 snaps and managed two and a half sacks and a forced fumble and helped cause a safety. And it sometimes feels like he's got those spurts where it's two series and he gets all all of his sacks in those kind of couple <laughs> yeah. series and you feel like maybe he disappears for the rest of the game or he's you know on other assignments and the fact he only rushed 15 times was was that was just kind of surprising to me it seemed like SC was able to you know get him in help him up that sack total with two and a half and then get him out of the game relatively quickly to be able to rest up for UCLA and SC the entire team has a full day but for some of these players like Andrew Voorhees who didn't play most of the second half Thule who was only asked to rush the passer 15 times there's gonna be a lot of rested guys for for USC going against UCLA and all these guys who are you know Caleb Williams in the Heisman conversation Andrew Voorhees who's a first round pick prospect and Tui Tui Plotu who might win you know some of the defensive line awards around college football you're gonna have a lot of rested fantastic talented players going against UCLA I think that was a big win for SC to be able to win big and then also rest up a lot of guys in, in a game where they all played well for sure yeah and when you talk to Tuli, it's all business yes. you know we, we tried to get something out of him just about the uh, his sack total and it was nothing it was uh, you know, he just always is has that mentality which is a good thing to have you know not yeah. getting too over himself but he also should he, he leads the league in sacks or leads the nation in sacks yeah. so that's an important thing to consider i yeah. think he was up and then got another two and a half he might with a one more good game another possibly even two like, he might lock that up which i don't know when the last time usc had the national sack leader was i'm, not I'm sure, it's good sure we can try and get on that at some point but yeah. i think Tui Tui Pelotu might be well on his way another thing i think he is usc's best edge at containing a quarterback as well because it feels like when he gets pressure he is bringing down the quarterback as well even when they try and scramble out of the pocket he's still able to bring him down sometimes you see sc this year get off the edge or get up the middle and you can't bring down the quarterback or they evade him Tui Tui blow to it's almost like you know a big bear coming to give you a hug He's, he brings him down just about every time yeah it's, we've seen a lot of missed tackles and there's just a hard time you know tackling people like for what Tuli has like a good tackle radius like if you're getting within this it's like a black hole like if you're just gonna get sucked in if whatever yeah. if you get close to him he's like bringing you down so that's that's a good sign if you're a defender trying to tackle somebody that was a good question too. I was trying to find that. When was the last time a USC player led the nation sacks? I couldn't find anything, but maybe we'll, we'll check it out. Try it. Yeah, then my my only thought recently would have been Leonard Williams, but I I don't know. If I don't he think led he led the nation sack. in sacks yeah, that year. That's a tough one. But yeah, we'll definitely have to try and find that. I'll, I'll look after the show and see. Let's get into questions. Unless you guys have anything else to talk no, about yeah, from the Colorado game. questions. Yeah, that's All good. Right. Let's start with a live caller. We'll go to Dave from Iowa to talk about USC football. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Great to be back. Um, first off, you know, great win and, you know, just great chaos overall in the conference, like aside from us, right? Um, when it comes to MVPs of the season, as much as you could say Lincoln Riley and all these players, I mean, I'm not sure who schedules or who makes the schedules, but we got to thank the schedule, the schedule builder because, oh, my gosh, like, you know, just an easy schedule throughout. You know, I, I, I can imagine three years ago we would think that this way USC would do, but again, you know, back then they would lose a couple of handful of games, and that got me thinking. So, so in 2024, when we do move to the Big Ten, you know, is the Big Ten going to treat us like, you know, like like you know, like being on the silver platter? Or are they just going to give us the gauntlet? And then another thing that I uh, was thinking about was Ryan. I saw you tweeted out like. Uh, during the Oregon game, you know, I don't know, I, you were like, I don't know the analytics, but, you know, no, ma- no matter how good you are on fourth down, you know, you shouldn't do it during that time. It got me thinking, back-to-back years, or, uh, USC's top skill position player uh, uh, ends their season, middle of the season, um, due to an injury. And that got me thinking, like, you know, as, as much as, you know, these guys can be dominant, you know, you, you might want to think about easing off, ease off the brake horse, or sorry, you know, just ease it off and, you know, let let the depth show rather than, you know, those individual seasons ending in, in you know, disappointing um, injuries. What were your thoughts? Thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, I think I think the Big Ten is going to have to be somewhat accommodating in the schedules because, yeah. you you know, they it's going to be tough for everyone to travel. Like, is it is it better for Minnesota to come to Los Angeles in November? For the Minnesota people, they're like, yeah, I'd rather do that. And if you're USC, would you rather – playing in Minnesota in September and not in, yeah, I think, I think it's probably going to work out for everybody and you're going to try to make it cause it's, it could be a burden on travel for all the programs, but you know, USC and UCLA especially. So I, I don't think that's a worry that they're going to like, Oh, go to uh, Rutgers and Minnesota and Illinois and get three weeks in a row in November. Yeah. It's like, no, nah, that's probably not, uh, probably not going to happen. Um, what was the second one? It was, uh, it was something I, 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 he mentioned the analytics. I wasn't really sure. Oh yeah, okay. it was about the. the so I tweet. Yeah, so I tweeted during the Oregon. So at the end, it was towards the end of the game. Dan Lanning and he's been very uh, aggressive, and that's fine. And you know, and it, there's math involved, and you want to say like it's it pretty much. I think the analytics say pretty much if it's fourth and one almost anywhere, you should go for it. Like I think that's sort of like, and in this case, like they were just going for it all the time. Uh, UCLA. I mean, like Utah was going for a lot. UCLA was going for a lot. But it was like your own side of the field, um, and it was like a fourth and one. But your Bo Nix was out, so you had your backup quarterback in. And it's like in that situation, it's like I think there was like a minute and a half left. I, I'm not saying he shouldn't have done it, but it's like at some point you're like you can punt too. Like it's a, like it's not like you yeah. always have to go for it. Like I felt like you were just like up, oh, gotta go for it. It's like you know, like well now you you basically put Arizona in field goal position and. Was Oregon stopping Arizona at all? I mean, I'm sorry. Was Oregon stopping Washington at all? No. Uh, Penix was just going all over the place. But I think, you know, it's a, you know, there's a limited time left. And 
you could have at least considered punting. I don't even think it was like a consideration. So I was just saying, like, analytics doesn't mean you go for it. Analytics doesn't mean just go for it every single time. Like, there's sometimes you're like, you know, well, and we also have a backup quarterback in. Maybe the math still says you should have gone for it in that situation. I don't know. Uh, but the running back ends up slipping, and then, you know, uh, Washington takes over, uh, and they win the game. But I don't know if you thought that was a – yeah, I'm with you on, on that. I think in terms of the UCLA fourth down, they went down. They, it was like fourth and six, about five minutes left. And they were, uh, I think, at their, like they were in field goal range. And it was yeah. a three-point game. And they went for it. And that, that could have backfired yeah. because Arizona just went down and they kicked the field goal. It was still a one-possession game. And UCLA got the ball back with a minute left. But if they just kicked the field goal, you tie the game. <laughs> and then now all you have to do is just aim for the field goal because UCLA comfortably got back into field goal range but they didn't score because they were just pushing for the end zone instead of just tying the game and I'm with you I think look people forget there's punters on your team there's a reason why they warm up just punt the ball like it it shouldn't be this complicated especially like in that situation it's a fourth and six you got five minutes left people just I think you get so excited about oh we're gonna go for that fourth down yeah. we're gonna get it and we're gonna put the game to rest but sometimes it's not it's not the best the best yeah. decision i get i mean there's a david shaw's of the world that keep punting on the opponent's side of the field on fourth and two at the opponent's 35 like we'll take a delay of game and then we'll like pit like you shouldn't punt there like your your expected value of punting is bad but it's not like go for it every single time yeah. i i think Football was just way too conservative over, the, and then people even talk about it. They're like, "Oh, that's a risky decision," and and the analytics people would argue, "No, the risky decision is punting because you have you have a worse chance of winning if you punt than if you would go for it like every single time." Which I get, but then I think sometimes it even goes like a little yeah. much. Like there are situational things that are feel for the game, uh, and I, I guess if the feel is our defense isn't stopping anybody, we might as well just go for it. I get, but I get that. when you get your backup quarterback in and you're on your side of the field, I'm like, eh, I might just punt here and not. You know, and the running back slips and it's just like, ugh, you know, and you don't want to be results based, you know, like you'd say from the beginning, like when people talked about Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, doing that onside kick, they didn't like it. I'm not going to say because it didn't work. I didn't like, I thought, you know, I had, I had no problem with it. Some people really did. So it just kind of depends on, but don't, don't make it based on results. It's just more about like, you know, you're, if you're playing poker and it's like, if you're constantly drawing to an inside straight, like. You're, you might hit it the first two times. You're like, oh, this is the smart decision. Like, no, it wasn't the smart decision. Like, you're, you're playing the low, you know, low percentage stuff. But, yeah. yeah. And just one more thing about yeah. the, for in terms of Oregon, that also puts your defense in a really bad position because you can – it puts just more pressure on them. Yeah. If you punt it away, at least you've got more of the field to kind of defend with. Whereas in, in that situation, obviously, you're thinking, you know, let's put the game out of the reach. But maybe the defense might think, oh, they don't trust us to get the stop, right? And that might also get into the mental aspect of it. So I think in terms of Oregon, just punt the ball away, play it safe. Sometimes that's the right way to play. That's fine. I'm going to talk with David Woods about that tomorrow on the podcast of Champions because he's like, you go for that every time. And I'm like, I, I mean, I can see like if it's a 53%, you should have gone for it. But I can't see it be like 80% you should go for it. Like yeah. I, I, I just can't believe that that would be the math. You know, but, if, but. You're, if you're USC, are you going for that with Miller Moss in at quarterback? I think you got to punt there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was that's just me. But yeah, that was, it didn't work, but I wasn't saying that that's why I didn't like the decision. It just was like, I mean, it's just like you're going for it like every single time. Like, you're sure, like, look, we know what we're doing. We're yeah. going to go every single time. Like, you don't have to go for it every time. Like, you can punt every once in a while. Like, it's okay to punt sometimes. I want to see a punt. Don't do David Shaw and punt, you know, in like these ridiculous situations. Like, 
He's probably punted. I bet you he's punted in opponent's territory more than any coach in college football. I bet you. I would I would bet. Was like, he a punter growing up? Is I don't know. Middle? That one game that they beat, uh, who they beat? Arizona, Arizona State, State. State with all field goals. Yeah. Like, that's a David Shaw dream. Like, you won a game without uh, scoring a touchdown, yeah. all punting and field goals. You know, like, that's, that's sort of like his ideal world. Yeah. That's kind of funny. All right, we've got some questions in the chat. This first yeah. one comes from Oscar on YouTube. He says, "Does do the losses of UCLA and Oregon hurt USC's chances to make the playoffs?" It's funny when people talk about this. Um, I don't think so. I think this is USC had the best chance to make the playoff before. Um, this helps USC get to the Pac-12 championship game. You're still going to beat a ranked team in UCLA. Still beat a ranked team in Notre Dame. And still beat a ranked team in the championship game. You're gonna, you know, if you can go three and zero, you know, you might need TCU to lose or something like that. But I don't think Oregon or you know, I don't think that matters as much if it, Oregon was six or twelve when you play them, whatever. I mean, if if Oregon beats Utah and uh, Oregon State, like they're gonna get back up there, they'll be in the top ten again. So I, I don't think that hurts. It's it's just more about USC taking care of business, but probably needing some help. Because it's a Pac-12, but USC has that brand, the side of the, you know, this matters, you know, uh, it sh- should it matter? Probably not, but it does. And that's why USC is going to get the benefit of the doubt in a lot of cases where if it was like, I don't know, if it like Oregon State was in the same position, like they probably need a lot more help than what USC would. Fair or not, but that's just kind of the way it is. Yeah, I don't think it's a dramatic change. Obviously, I think that looks better on the resume if it's a one-loss UCLA team that you beat on the road and then play Notre Dame and then play either Utah or Oregon. But it doesn't make as much as a difference as it you know it, it seems. I think if you still beat those three ranked teams in a row, you're, what is it, 12-1 and one after the championship yeah, yeah. weekend. I mean, your resume is still very strong. I think it matters more for, like you said, like an Oregon State – because USC's brand is just you it just looks better if they're in the playoff after all the years they were out of it um, and not even in contention yeah but it, it doesn't really have as much of an impact I think because you're still you still got to be three ranked teams sure maybe the rank isn't as high but they're still right. ranked and, and I think that doesn't really make as much as a of a difference than than it, it, it should maybe and Notre Dame plays Boston College so like if Notre Dame lost and they dropped out yeah. of the rankings like Notre Dame's probably a gift rankings like they lost to Marshall and they lost to Stanford but that logo helps them get ranked exactly. too yeah. which could in turn help USC have another ranked mm-hmm. win they play Boston College who's uh pretty awful I believe so yeah um, and I've seen a lot of talk about US win. I've seen a lot of talk about USC's schedule you, you can't control how well the other teams that you play are going to play that given season. Of course, USC got lucky by not playing Oregon or Washington in the regular season. But I remember coming into the year, people thought the Fresno State game was going to be a trap game because Fresno State was coming off a great year. Of course, it hasn't worked out for them this season. But, you know, USC, they, they schedule Notre Dame, they schedule a Fresno State, uh, and you have Rice. But those are supposed to be, you know, two out of three non-conference games being tough, possibly ranked opponents. Of course, Notre Dame has struggled at times this year. Oregon State, when USC beat them, wasn't in the rankings. Then they got in the rankings, and they've fallen out. Now they're back in the rankings. Yeah. So that's a, a top 25 team. And you thought you, Washington State would be better than Washington. You yeah. know, they went to a bowl last year. Washington was 4-8. and eight. Well, Washington's good now. Like, you know, they hire a good yeah. coach, and they're good. So, yeah. I mean, and, Washington State's good, too, though. Yeah. And you have Utah. You, you lose to Utah a week after they had lost, so that loss doesn't look quite as good because Utah had just fallen down the rankings, and yeah. now you're going to play a UCLA team that just lost, so it's not going to look as good. But it's just stuff that's out of your control. It, in the end, if, if USC wins out and wins the Pac-12, they'll be a one-loss team, and their one loss came by one point on the road, and they'd be a conference championship game with at least three to four ranked wins. 
I think that would be enough for the playoff. We'd have to see what's going on with the, if there's two SEC teams and a TCU and a Big Ten team ahead of them. But even then, if that's the case, you're at five. You're in the Rose Bowl pretty easily. I don't think that the losses of UCLA and Oregon matter to tank your playoff hopes. In fact, it probably makes them a little bit easier considering now you don't have to worry about missing out on the Pac-12 championship game even with a win. So yeah. I think that's definitely helpful for USC. Uh, we've got another question from uh, Steve. He said, Die was the focal point of the running game. Do you think that USC is going to use a true running back by committee with Die out, or do you think Jones will be the primary feature back? I kind of said it earlier. I think Jones will probably be the feature back with uh, Brown, similar role, and then maybe more Barlow mixed in maybe a little more Barlow than we saw Jones when he was mixed in. I don't know. What, what do you think? Anthony? I think it, I honestly, I think it'll be a committee. I think they, oh, okay. they liked using Brown a lot uh, in the uh, beginning of the season before he was hurt. Uh, and I think they, they kind of used them more uh, against Colorado, obviously with die out. I think it'll be a committee. I think you can kind of each, 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 each of those running backs has its own positives. Um, I think obviously with Relic Brown, if you get them going and kind of more of those like screen passes that, that you talked about earlier, it can just make your offense look more explosive. I think, obviously, Austin Jones, you can rely on him, but it, it'll be difficult. I think you got to really mix it up and kind of use that committee um, because it just, I think that's that's the way that they've been kind of trending throughout the season. They really use Relic Brown early, and then he got hurt. They kind of worked him back in, and he's starting to get more play. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a committee. Um, but yeah, also wouldn't be surprised if it's just Austin Jones. <laughs> but, but I think a committee route uh, would probably be the best. Yeah, and I think Austin Jones is probably the USC's best runner out of the three, and he's I think the best combined runner and pass catcher. Obviously, Relique Brown offers you a lot of versatility and athleticism, but he's not as disciplined I think as we've seen the past couple of weeks. He's had some runs that he really bounces back and tries to wheel around and loses USC uh, some some big yardage, which against UCLA, if you're going to try and score as many points as you can, you're really going to need all those scores. You can't be getting behind the sticks, uh, even though Kyle Ford shows you that sometimes being behind the chains <laughs> isn't exactly the worst place to be. But I think they, they probably roll with Austin Jones as the feature back, but you're going to see a lot more Relic Brown. You're going to see a lot more of the backups than you would see if... Travis Dye was still in the game. I think you'll see more rotation than them leaning with a workhorse guy. I actually uh, have a stat update about what our question earlier about who oh. was the last USC player to lead the nation in sacks. Happened in 2003. BKU had 16 and a half sacks to lead the nation. USC's single season record is 20. That was Tim Ryan in 1989. Wow. That was, a, I want to age myself, my freshman year, Tim Ryan. That was uh, my freshman year at USC. Wow. Todd Marinovich. They lost to uh, Jeff George in Illinois in the very first game. That was a that was a tough one. Uh, Larry Larry Smith, uh, who's since passed away, but yeah, head coach then. They went to three straight Rose Bowls, huh? and that year, my freshman year, they beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Bo Schembechler's last game, I think, right? So, yeah. And then 2000, crazy. 2003, the last time a USC players led the nation. So we'll see if yeah. Tui Tui Pelotu wow. can bridge that 19-year gap. Can you do Daisy? Yeah. yeah. Nice. We've got a couple other questions. Uh, Cigar on YouTube is a, a blank question. If USC does this blank, then they will beat UCLA. You guys want to help fill on that blank with your prediction? Ooh. That's a good question. I'll say force two turnovers. That's like two stops that you get. And, mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that'll give you a good shot. I don't know. What do you think? Start strong. I think if they start like strong, that? yeah, they've, they've got to come out and just play well. 
I'll say beat UCLA in red zone touchdown percentage. I think that's the way that USC wins games on defense, and it's what's made their offense so great this year is every time they get in the red zone, for the most part, they're scoring touchdowns, whether that's you know Caleb Williams on the run, you know finding uh, people in the end zone uh, through the pass or running it with previously Travis Dye. I think if USC is able to bounce back from that injury, continue to score touchdowns at a, at a great rate in the red zone, and then also limit DTR and Zach Charbonnet a couple times in, in the red zone to just a field goal or potentially forcing a turnover, I think they'll beat UCLA. Yeah. A couple other questions. There, yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> we just went with like two words. And like well, I, I like I had, I had the answer and I was just explaining it. So it would, you can limit some of the blank, words. Blank, 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 blank. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew on YouTube asks, uh, the Rose Bowl looked slippery last night. Is that a concern for the game on Saturday? It did. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it did look very good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I, I mean, it's UCLA's field. Like, I don't I think you would rather. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it helped them. Yeah, you know, I I was at that game and I did get on the field after. It was very icy. Oh, actually. you went to the game. Yeah. yeah, I was at I was at that game. It was really icy. It was it was also very cold. That might have been it, some it, of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that probably probably played a it role. It might have been like a little extra water early that they didn't need, and then like kind of got cold and it's like slippery yeah. or something. Yeah, we're not used to this kind of weather. I mean, I went to the beach this morning and like tried to play some. Beach volleyball, it got windy. It was cold. Like oh, this is like wind chill factor here, man. It was like in the fifties, wind chill factor. But yeah, yeah, it chilly. Was, which I, is chilly for us. I thought I was in Notre Dame yesterday. <laughs> I, I'm because I, when we went to Notre Dame last year, it was the same thing. Very cold, and I and I was getting the that, that same energy. So maybe that's a stretch, but uh, I don't the, know. you know, it, it, it was, was cold. It was chilly. Yeah. It's been chilly here. The game last night did start two and a half hours after the one will start yeah. next week. So hopefully that doesn't. I hope that has a positive effect and you know a positive regression uh, on the behalf of the field iciness. Uh, but yeah, I think it would be a concern. Still, it's going to be a five o'clock game on, at night, so you could see some slippery fields. That's how uh, in Oregon out in Oregon lost the game because they slipped on that fourth down where it looked like they might have had it and the running back slipped. Like those are the kind of things that if it's a close game like we expect it to be, can really impact the the level of football being played and also can completely change the and turn the tides. Uh, I think there's one more question that I saw. Okay. I'm find it. Uh, from Carlos, does USC want Utah or Oregon to win? And I guess this can just apply to us. Do you want USC or do you want Utah or Oregon to win, assuming USC beats UCLA? Uh, I mean, I, I think I would probably lean toward you've played Utah already. Like you could get revenge, but I think leaning towards Oregon would be like, you know, that's the one you, the last time you played for the championship and the, the, 2020 COVID year, you know, they came into the Coliseum and, and won. Um, I think it'd be a cool opportunity to, uh, to play Oregon. And that's the team you go head to head with a lot of recruits for. Uh, I think it'd be a great opportunity. I think if, you know, you can get a win over that, like that's something you can sell on the recruiting trail. So I think your best opportunity is probably playing Oregon, but I don't know what you think. Yeah, I agree. I think cause, cause if you play Utah and you beat Utah, then, then people will say, Oh, but you didn't play Oregon. You didn't beat yeah. Oregon. We didn't see how that matchup matchup looked so yeah I, I would prefer Oregon just get it no what if so what if you did play at Oregon just beat Oregon and, and I think you know there, there won't be any more questions to be answered really yeah if you're like Caleb Williams like you get to do like two of the guys that are talking about for being Heisman finalists like you get to outduel yeah. one of those dudes and if Caleb beats Bo Nix like he's probably not going to New York you know and if mm -hmm. Bo Nix beats Caleb like, he might not be going to New York so it's kind of one of those things where it's it's the best opportunity. I don't know. I'm not saying who would be the harder game or whatever, um, but 
yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I think Oregon with the team, you'd, you you got a, there's more upside, I think, beating Oregon from a lot of different angles. I think I agree. You're a Heisman voter. Do you guys take into account the Pac-12 championship game and other championship games for the Heisman? Yeah, so we, uh, I have, they haven't sent us the, they send us like an email um, that I used to get like a, you get something in the mail too. Uh, but it's, I think it's right after the, like, we have to have them in like right after the championship game. So it's before the bowl games, but you get to see the championship games, but it's like, I think the vote is due like that, you know, very early December. So right after that championship weekend. So December 2nd, 3rd, I think they're the ballots usually do by like the sixth or seventh, something like that. Yeah, I think I, I would agree playing Oregon. We'll see what the Heisman odds look like this week. I wouldn't be surprised if Caleb takes another jump. You had Hennon Hooker. He threw for three touchdowns, I believe. Caleb, though, another game with five. C.J. Stroud had five. And then Bo Nix, I think, is going to see himself tumble down the rankings with the unfortunate loss to Washington. But I think, Caleb, if you're talking Heisman, you might probably want to play Oregon. And I also think for the USC brand, you've competed against Oregon for the longest time. They're even more nationally respected, I think, than Utah. We can discuss whether that's even warranted but I think if you're looking playoff wise who do you think is a better team to beat resume wise Oregon gets a lot more respect than Utah does on a national level so it would probably be better for USC if they get a win over Oregon as opposed to Utah but it really all starts next week you got to beat UCLA yeah I agree with you that's all we've got do you guys have anything else to to talk about before we wrap it up well first I just want to thank uh you know makes me feel young being with these guys <laughs> the college students there but it's fun. we've always had a great time um USC has been really good about uh you know Put, providing like great students to kind of help, and I, I always love getting guys involved, guys and gals involved uh, with the with the shows and with the website and stuff. So uh, Jack's been doing an amazing job, kind of running things, and definitely follow what Anthony's doing. He's doing a lot of good work out there too. So it's great to get him in studio. So I just want to thank you guys for being uh, part of this. So it's, it's really fun. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. You know, we we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So oh, uh, it starts with you. <laughs> <laughs> and how come I have to feel young when I'm with you, but then also when when we're here, you also get to feel young. I feel like that's not a fair trade. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but you 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 get some old references and stuff. I'm trying to picture like when I was younger, like what a, like if if my parents would talk about some band that I, you know was before my time or whatever. Like oh, I don't know if I would watch that or like old movies or things. Like oh, I guess some of that stuff. Uh, but now with the internet, you guys can watch everything oh, on yeah. YouTube. You know, That's you right. can just pull stuff up, and it's great. But uh, yeah, the, the stuff that you got, like it's it's funny. Just like I still surf channels. You know, and, like you guys don't even know what that is. You're like, why why would I like look around to see what other people say I should watch? I'm just going to watch this, which makes a lot more sense. But just we kind of grew up doing it this way, yeah. so get used to it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but that's all we've got for you guys today. All <laughs> I'm just off the rails. So that's yeah, there you go. Yeah. I know I know what it is, surfing. I see my dad yeah. do it all the time. <laughs> see, there you go, yeah. The key is, you know, having one channel that was your previous channel. I'm a master with the remote. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, you got it. So if you stay on one channel and then you're thinking, oh, I want to see this game too, you just keep doing the back, back and, forth, yeah, back yeah, and yeah. forth. Yeah, You know what's a weird thing? An old thing with like these old bigger, they're bigger TVs, but they were like these really thick ones. Like they were kind of these tube ones. Was the picture in picture was like a thing like that. Oh, yeah. I don't know why that's got like, it still that, seems it, to be yeah, valuable. And it's just not like a thing anymore. Like, you know, you have these big flat screen TVs. You could split up the four different screens. Like they don't do that. I I don't, I don't know why, but they kind of got away from that for some reason. Yeah, because I remember seeing that growing up just, like one of those on those like big thick TVs, the picture to picture. And yeah, I don't know what happened to it. It's so you could around. swipe it. So you could like have a main game and like a small game, and so you know, still watch and yeah. flip them back and forth. It's just not. I, I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't popular. I thought they were cool, but 
they're you know i'm old so who knows but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would take that at tv they could show you multiple games i feel like it's yeah. just it's a t- it's tough to watch college football on saturdays because you know normally on saturdays we're, we're prepping to cover the usc game and usc plays on friday so saturday surfing the channels trying to watch tcu texas trying to watch uh oregon washington all at the same time and it's Sometimes uh, you know hard when you got to flip between the two. And USC, the cable is really slow, so I had to. It's hard to switch between the two sometimes. It was good. Like the good thing though is you guys can, we can watch on our devices. So like I was watching three Pac-12 games at once last night. So I had like the TV had like Oregon, Washington, and then I had like iPad had UCLA, and then uh, I think the la- the end of like the Oregon State game or whatever was on my like laptop. So you can do that, which yeah. is kind of cool, but. You know, whatever. Yeah. Well, thank you guys Technology. for staying with us uh, into the deep Sunday night to talk about TV guides. Talk about and... politics. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah, what else do you want to bring up? You didn't prepare me for this. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. All three of our Twitters are on the screen if you want to give us a, spo- uh, give us a follow, especially Anthony at Garib Sports on Twitter. Uh, and then make sure you guys are checking out all the other stuff on the page, whether that's uscfootball.com here on YouTube where we've got interviews, instant analysis. Chris put up his field level highlights today. There's so much stuff and this is going to be probably the biggest week of the USC season so far with uh, all the questions coming about UCLA and the the big game Trojans last Pac-12 matchup of the year this will decide whether they go to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship or whether they have to stay home and watch so it'll be a big big week we're excited to cover it we'll be back here for Tunnel Vision specifically on Thursday night to talk about that big matchup but that's all we've got for you guys today thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you on Thursday